Welcome to the Yogi MD Podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Anger is the bodyguard of sadness. How can a healthy expression of anger help us? Who are anger's destructive imposters? How is living a healthy emotional life intricately tied to our physical well-being? My guest today is psychotherapist, mental health expert, national speaker, and author Joyce Martyr. I reached out to Joyce on LinkedIn, impressed by her body of work. And I was delighted when she agreed to be on the show. Our conversation was easy. We clearly had mutual respect for one another. And as a result, we are now fast friends. I hope you enjoy and learn as much from our talk as I have. Joyce, I would first like to discuss the idea of emotions in general. What is the purpose of emotions? What are they and how do they serve us? Well, as a therapist, I really believe that our emotions are waves of energy that we experience in the body. And cognitive behavioral therapy says that our thoughts precede our emotions and our behaviors. So sometimes if we have a negative thought or belief about ourselves, it can cause a wave of anger or sadness to be experienced in our body and in our heart, I believe. In general, when do we know that emotions are helping us and when they're harming us? Because from a yoga teacher's perspective, one of the things that I've learned through studying meditation is the mantra, we are not our emotions. But as human beings, we do experience them. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm a yogi as well. I, I went through the 200-hour teacher training and absolutely ab- agree with that philosophy that we, we have our ego and our essence. And our essence is like our soul, our highest self. And through meditation, we can observe our ego. We can observe our thoughts And I believe that our emotions are triggered by our thoughts and they're waves of energy that we experience in the body. And in yoga, we might experience them in the different chakras. We might experience them being blocked in the different chakras. And I believe our emotions are a huge part of our human experience. And it's really important for us to honor them and not judge them. Sounds good. Okay, the next thing I would like to ask you about is this idea of trauma. I know there are various types of trauma, and I would like to anchor our discussion based on going through a traumatic experience, recovering through a traumatic experience, and how we experience the emotion anger. First of all, can you define trauma for us? Yes, absolutely. I think sometimes people have the misconception that a trauma is something that only a war veteran or a victim of sexual abuse or domestic violence might experience. But we all experience various kinds of trauma in our lives as part of the human condition. So a trauma is a 
unusual life experience that we're not able to process like usual life experiences because they're physiologically and psychologically overwhelming. So this might include an accident, like a car accident, an injury, an illness, a breakup, a divorce, the death or the loss of somebody, maybe you've been through a fire or a natural disaster. All of these are traumas. Another category that I think that doesn't go discussed very, very often is familial trauma or generational trauma. Oh my goodness, absolutely. Intergenerational trauma is extremely important. And so knowing about your heritage and and what your people have been through and what they have survived and collective trauma and cultural trauma, absolutely, that, that lives in our minds, bodies, and spirits. And I believe in our lives, we're each dealt a different hand of hardships and blessings, and it may not seem fair. It may not seem that life gave us a fair hand. And so some of us come from a place of privilege where we may have less of that burden to bury, and others may have tremendous burden to bury. And that alone is um, something that it would be natural and normal to feel some sadness and loss and and anger and to be starting in a a place of having unfortunate work to, to have to do because of cultural implications. And I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but are you seeing an increase or an uptick in people acknowledging that getting therapy is not something that's shameful and that it's actually okay to do so and we should? Yes, and that makes me so happy. I think that's the silver lining of the pandemic is that we are living through a global trauma. And we cannot process what we're living through right now. We're just doing the best that we can. And I don't think we can really even wrap our brains around how this has impacted us emotionally, physically, financially, socially, spiritually. And so um, absolutely, I think the silver lining is that everybody is talking about their mental health. I'm giving a ton of webinars all across the globe, actually, on promoting mental health awareness. And I'm very passionate about destigmatizing therapy and mental health issues. I think we all deal with depression, anxiety, relationship issues, addiction, substance abuse, stress as part of the human condition, or we're impacted by our loved ones who are dealing with those things. And it's no shame, no stigma. It's part of the human condition. Our, our feelings are a normal response to our nature and our nurture. And therapy is effective and it's it's helpful. It's like seeing a dentist or a doctor for preventative form of health care. So um, I, I think we can all benefit from it. I've tuned up with my own therapist mm-hmm. since, since COVID has been happening because there's a lot to process and we all need to boost our resilience and our mental wellness. And especially with, with the, the racial trauma too. I think there's a lot of with the discussion of systemic racism and everything going on in the world, a lot of people's stuff has gotten triggered Mm. and bubbled up. And so the way trauma works is if we're experiencing a current trauma, it taps into the earliest life experience that we've had where we've felt that way. 
So if we're not feeling safe or we're feeling scared, that's going to bring back old memories and old hurts. And so people are experiencing an increase in anxiety, depression, um, and PTSD, even Everyday people are experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms like nightmares or difficulty sleeping or muscle aches because the trauma is coming to the surface. I'm going to make an assumption, an assertion here that anger is one of the primary emotions we feel when we're undergoing trauma or when we're recovering from it. And so do you think that the root cause or one of the root causes of experiencing that anger is a feeling of helplessness or hopelessness? Yes, absolutely. So anger is a very normal and natural response to trauma. And some people are so traumatized that they might be disconnected or even dissociated from their feelings, from their anger. So not even aware, maybe feeling numb, maybe feeling nothingness or apathy. But for those who are experiencing anger, we experience anger when our boundaries are violated. Mm. Those might be emotional boundaries, they might be physical boundaries, they might be sexual boundaries, financial boundaries. And the anger is normal. It's, it's to let us know that something is wrong. And so as a therapist, I love to help people move through their anger, first by honoring it. It's, you know, sometimes I think we're taught that to be angry is bad. I think particularly as women, we're taught to be good girls and and people-pleasing. And I know in my family of origin growing up, there wasn't room for anger. That was not an acceptable emotion. And so what happened? It got stuffed. And when it gets stuffed, it turns into anxiety, depression, sickness, you know, as a pathologist. Um, so we need to honor those feelings and accept them as a normal response to our life experiences and wrap ourselves with self-compassion and begin to even explore compassion for those who, who may have hurt us, which is big work and that takes some time. But when we can move through our anger and come to a place of acceptance or even forgiveness, and forgiveness is not about the other person necessarily. We, we need to forgive to set ourselves free. Otherwise, we're always tethered to that person or that event or that situation, and we might be allowing it to define us when we are not our trauma. We are the beautiful soul of love and light, and we are a unique spirit. And our traumas are our stuff. It's what's happened to us. And they might eclipse us temporarily, but we can honor them. And again, one of the things I enjoy working with clients on in recovery from trauma and anger is that anger can be destructive if not if it's not managed appropriately, but it can be incredibly empowering when it is channeled. You know, sometimes our anger is shoved into our shadow side and we don't access it. And when we do, there's strength in that. And we can learn how to advocate for ourselves in a way that is assertive, that is direct, that is clear, that is honest, that is respectful of self and others so that we can make transformative change in our lives. I also think that one of the things I love about being a therapist is that people who have experienced trauma have deep wisdom carved into their beings. Mm. They have awareness and consciousness 
that perhaps they otherwise wouldn't have had. And that consciousness brings gifts. It brings gifts of empathy and insight and compassion for others. And so I think if we each work on our own traumas and work on our own our own emotional health so that we aren't in denial, but we're honoring our feelings, we're not shoving them into the body, we're not ignoring them, but we're honoring them and, and working through them so that we can succeed personally and professionally. One of the problems I find, though, with repressing anger is if you haven't been taught and if you are in your social circle of people who are behaving in a certain way or managing, as you mentioned earlier, coming from your family of origin where anger was not allowed, I can relate, and being a woman and being a black woman, it's not an acceptable emotion to necessarily express. So how do you allow yourself, how do you train yourself to express your anger appropriately? How do you even go about doing that with the people around you, you love and care about in order to have a better relationship and to take better care of yourself in the process? Well, of course, I'm biased as a therapist, and I think we can all benefit from the guidance of a therapist. I know that when I work with many female clients, they'll, they'll tell me about some horrible trauma that they've been through so, or some very painful hurt. And I'll say, you know, how are you feeling about that? And they'll say, I don't know, whatever. It's fine. I'm mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. And so I'll respond and say, like, hell no, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that is absolutely not fine. Like, and I imagine that you would have been pretty pissed off, or pretty angry. And when I say that, usually the tears fall. Mm. Um, because anger is the bodyguard of sadness. And so underneath that anger is usually a tremendous amount of hurt. Wow. You just dropped the mic. <laughs> I have never. Wow. Anger is the bodyguard of sadness. Yes. So underneath that anger is a tremendous amount of hurt and sadness. So I think, you know, giving ourselves permission is the first step. Finding a safe relationship with whether it's a therapist or a coach or a spiritual advisor or a yogi even that that someone who you can feel like you can let your guard down and access those deeper emotions that can be incredibly healing. I do think that yoga and meditation and other practices, even martial arts, that help you connect with the anger that you feel inside, you know, imagining where are you feeling it in your body? What color is it? What is What shape is it? And imagining you're breathing into it and you're releasing it. Uh, you can release anger through art and through music and through writing and other creative expressions. And those are ways that you are not going to hurt people. I encourage letter writing. So if there is somebody that you need to express emotions to, hurt emotions, maybe start with a letter that you may or may not even give to them, but it's a cathartic release for you and it can help you get more psychologically organized. And I think it's important for all of us to take responsibility for our parts. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so we need, we're, none of us is perfect. We all play a role in things. And so we need to sometimes be the bigger person and, and be willing to look at our stuff. You know, Will Smith has these cool videos on YouTube where he talks about fault versus blame and responsibility. And he says, it's not your fault if you grew up with an alcoholic father, but it's damn well your responsibility, what you're going to do about it. Mm. And so we can stay stuck in blame if we don't honor what we've been through in our past and then take responsibility for ourselves going forward. And we have a, a job to be our own good parents and our own best friends and our own compassionate advocate as we move through our lives. And if we stay stuck in the anger of the past, we're not going to move forward in the ways that we need and deserve. What if you're so used to stuffing it down so much because that's the way you were always taught that it was unacceptable to show your anger that you can't even tell that you're deeply angry about something or you're manifesting it in an unhealthy fashion? I notice a lot of clients will say, I'm not angry. I'm just kind of irritated. Yeah. Or I'm just annoyed. I'm just frustrated. So it might be a lesser emotion like that, but you can start to mm. raise the red flag in your mind that these are signs of anger. Or maybe you notice it as headaches in the body or stomach aches or neck pain. So being mindful of how you feel physiologically in the body, that's why I love mindfulness practices because you can tell when you're clear and you can tell when you're not, when you've been practicing. And, and so when you're not, you, you become more aware of your anger. Anger can be part of ego. You know, we all have egos as part of the human condition. It's our mind's understanding of ourselves. And when our egos get hooked, we can become defensive. So if we notice ourselves making excuses, getting defensive, getting triggered, that's anger. If you feel that tug of war with somebody, somebody's posted something on your social media and you're firing back, mm -hmm. <laughs> you've gotten triggered. Mm -hmm. And so those are the types of things that you can start to develop mindful awareness of how anger is showing up in your life. So what I also hear you saying is that there's a moment of opportunity to take responsibility for your emotion to pause. So you have to allow yourself that pause to notice, though, that you're experiencing this trigger. And then it's in that magical moment. And Stephen Covey's book, The Seven uh, Habits of Effective People, talks about that magical pause between the trigger and your action. And that's the moment. It's that little space. It's that moment of clarity where you can make a decision not to be a reactive person, but a responsive person. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And I love his work and love that book. And I believe that that's what meditation and yoga practices provide because we're learning that mindful pause and we're learning to observe and notice our thoughts and our emotions rather than react to them. My own therapist said, Joyce, feelings are waves of energy, which we can choose to surf rather than allowing them to overcome us. So 
We can feel the anger rise. We can notice it. We can breathe through it like we do an uncomfortable pose in yoga and know that it will pass. And so the anger is a gift. It's there for a reason. It's telling us something. And so we can make mental note of that. And then we can choose to communicate in a way that is respectful, that is kind. You know, before speaking, ask yourself, is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? You can speak in terms of I statements rather than you statements. I feel hurt. I am upset. I am concerned that this happened. Those are perfectly appropriate statements to make. It's when you say you and and you follow that up with criticisms of somebody, you know, you are you are uncaring, you are thoughtless. Those are very hurtful statements. John Gottman is the guru in couples counseling, and he says there are four behaviors that lead to relationship breakdown. And those are criticism, contempt, stonewalling, and defensiveness. Mm. And they're all different ways anger can manifest. So criticism is when we attack the other person. Mm -hmm. Contempt is is kind of things like rolling your eyes Mm -hmm. or crossing your arms Mm -hmm. or I make a noise like... (sighs) Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you think that makes people <laughs> feel good? No, no. So, it's, right. it's, it's showing the person you're an idiot with your body right. language. Very <laughs> condescending and, and not so nice. So I've been working on that. And, and stonewalling is when we shut down. So mm. some people might think that because they're not outwardly yelling, that they're not being hostile, but the silent treatment is incredibly aggressive and hostile. I always say healthy self-esteem is midway between diva and doormat. So the diva, and I'm using this word, um, men can be divos too. So, um, and of (laughs) course I love divas like Mariah Carey and others. I'm not using the term in that sense. I'm using the term diva like a, um, an entitled person who's not respectful of other people's boundaries and a doormat is not respectful of her own. Whereas someone with healthy self-esteem has respect for the other person and themselves. Oh my goodness. So doormats tend to be kind of passive aggressive and divas tend to be downright aggressive when the goal is we want to be assertive. So we want to say something when, when our boundaries are violated and say, that's not okay. I'm upset. Um, But we don't want to be, Uh, Because if we don't say anything, we're going to harbor resentment, which is hardened anger, and that can make us sick and depressed. But we don't want to say something in a way that's destructive and hurtful to the other person. So the fourth is defensiveness. And that's when we, you know, make excuses or defenses include things like denial rationalization, intellectualization, displacement, Mm. which is when we express our, you might be mad at your boss, but you yell at your husband. Um, So, so, because it's safer. Mm -hmm. So defensiveness is another um, one of what John Gottman calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. He says they lead to relationship breakdown. So those are things that we need to work on and instead replace them with some mindfulness practices, uh, like detachment, I think is really a healthy mindfulness practice. It does not mean you don't care 
or you're disconnected in some ways in Al-Anon, which is the support group for people who are in a relationship with someone dealing with addiction, Mm -hmm. they say practice detachment with love. And detachment is the ability to separate yourselves from the negative emotions of others, even from your own negative emotions, or even to detach from outcome or expectations. So when we pin our happiness on an expected outcome, we can set ourselves up for disappointment. So we need to kind of recalibrate our expectations to zero. And that detachment is that separation that you were talking about with Stephen Covey, that it's that ability to separate. It's a healthy separation from the emotions of the moment so that you can, like you said, respond rather than react. Mm -hmm. So thoughtfully respond in the way that reflects integrity for yourself that you're going to feel good about afterwards. Passive aggressive behavior. I want to talk about that. Yes. That's really tricky. And it seems like you're being a nice girl or a nice person by not being overt about your anger. Yes. You think you're not hurting another person, but it is very destructive. Can you talk a little bit about passive aggressive behavior? Passive aggressive behaviors are when you're really mad, but just like you said, you're not expressing it overtly or directly. You're, you're, expressing it indirectly by maybe not responding, not responding to a text or a voicemail or an email, or maybe you're rolling your eyes, or maybe you're um, using a tone of voice that, that is, you know, it's, it's like if, if your husband says, Hey, can I go out for a beer with the guys? And you say, sure. Um, You're obviously not saying, I'm fine with it. You're not being honest. So that's passive aggressive. And then to be mad about it later. So we want to communicate instead in a way that is honest. And, you know, again, it's okay to be upset about things. So you could say, you know what, I don't love that. I feel like you just went out last week. Um, if, if you go out tonight, Hey, can we have a date night on Friday? Because I miss you and I need time with you. Um, so being clear about what your boundaries are, Hey, can you keep it an an early night? I don't want to be worrying about you tonight. Would you say that being able to express anger in a healthy fashion requires feeling safe? That's a great point. Yes, I absolutely would say that. I would absolutely say that. And there are some people in my life I know I wouldn't express my anger directly with a 10-foot pole because I know that the outcome would be very, very negative. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's challenging. Like if you're really angry at your boss, how useful, and if your boss is a narcissist or something, mm-hmm. you know, how useful is that going to be? They may never say, oh, you're right, Nadine, that's my fault. I'm so sorry. So you're going to have to figure out some other way to honor your anger and express it and take care of yourself rather than dealing directly with them. So people who have personality disorders like narcissism, it can be very difficult and complicated to have conflict with them. So it is understandable sometimes to want to avoid that. Okay. What if you've done the work 
and you've noticed that you've you had some patterns, some unhealthy patterns in expression and behavior around anger. How do you go about the difficult work of forgiving yourself and recognizing that you are not just angry at the people around you, but you are really angry at yourself? That is really difficult work. And sometimes I think it's lifelong work. And first of all, I think all of us feel this way. I think none of us has handled anger perfectly. It's a very complicated emotion and it takes a lifetime to honor those feelings and to learn how to manage anger successfully. And we're human, we're imperfect. And so we make mistakes. And so we need to wrap ourselves with self-compassion. Sometimes I, and, and this is something I would only recommend if you have a therapist or you've done a decent amount of work on yourself, But I think to imagine yourself at the time of the hurt or the trauma, perhaps as a child, and imagine your healthiest self now looking at that child, you would never blame that child for feeling hurt or angry. You would would tell that child that they are perfectly lovable exactly the way that they are and that you are so sorry that they've been through what they've been through and that you love them and that you're gonna help them. And that's our job in our adult life is to relate to ourselves in that way. Our, Our anger is a normal response to our hurts and we need to take care of ourselves as, as we would someone we love very, very much, somebody who is very precious to us. So we would not say, oh my gosh, you were a bad girl, that was your fault. You would say, no, like, oh my goodness, clearly your parents weren't well if they treated you this way. You know, clearly they had been through some stuff that hurt and damaged them to behave in this way. And these, these are the effects that this has had on you. And that's totally understandable. Not your fault. Not your fault. So we've been talking a lot about getting help during our discussion today. And so what, what if a person doesn't feel like oh, it's not culturally appropriate, it's not generationally appropriate to that person to get Uh, professional help? What are other ways? Because it sounded like, and maybe I'm wrong, that's why I'm asking this question. Getting help, does it mean getting help outside of your circle, your social circle? Or can you find it with an intimate friend or partner or sibling or parent? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's a really important question. I think getting help is really anything, any work that you're going to do on your psychological and spiritual journey of recovery. So for some people, that's therapy or counseling. For other people, it might be their spiritual program. It might be prayer. It might be um, connecting with their spiritual community. It might be yoga and meditation. It might be a 12-step program like AA or NA or Al-Anon. It might be other support groups that are available online. Really anything that's going to cause you to look within yourself. For some people, that's connecting with nature or even running or exercising. So anything that's going to let you look at yourself and I do think that we can do a lot of work on ourselves through self-help books, 
through listening to podcasts like yours and, you know, doing journaling and other, I have clients who make scrapbooks and, and art as part of their recovery process. We can do a lot of that work ourselves, but I do think there's something important about sharing with others. And if you have a small group of friends that's going to work on, you're going to work on yourselves and share on a deeper level, I think that's a beautiful thing or a best friend or a sibling or a partner um, and, and to do some of this work and then report out and share. I also notice as a therapist, I attend a lot of continuing ed trainings. And in those trainings, we we learn a new skill and then we share on a pretty open level with strangers how we're responding to the material. And I find that so beautiful and healing. I'm always amazed by the ability to connect with strangers on a deep level when you let yourself do that and how healing that can be. So I think, you know, it might feel strange, but even on Zoom, people are having support groups and different kinds of meetings. And I encourage people to give that a try if you haven't before, because it it can help you heal to connect with others. Joyce, do you have a question for me? Yes, I am really interested in the mind-body connection and with you being an MD and a yogi. I'm interested in how do you think anger affects people physiologically in terms of their physical health? That is an excellent question. And I can definitely say that through personal experience, lots of headaches from suppressing anger for a long time, chronically suppressing it, lots of headaches, lots of jaw aches, shoulder issues, chronic tension in the shoulders and neck pain. Of course, that can lead to migraines, digestive issues, um, and cortisol. This is not woo-woo, but it's been proven that when you're chronically stressed and experiencing chronic anger, your body is producing cortisol because you are in the fight-or-flight mode. And so your heart rate is going to be chronically mildly elevated. Your blood pressure is going to be elevated. You're ready to run. You're ready to react. It's not a rest and digest state. And so over time with that Increased cortisol release actually causes things that we don't even think about, but studies have shown, such as bone loss Mm -hmm. and also accelerated aging in your cells. We have telomeres on the ends of our DNA to protect them. It's think of it like a cap telling the body that if the telomeres are present, then this cell it has long, more longevity. It's not time for the cell to die yet. But they found that increased cortisol release actually tells the body to uh, decrease the telomeres on the ends of those DNA on the end of the DNA. And so you have premature cell death, and that's accelerated cellular aging. So wow. those are just two long term examples we may not think about increased cortisol production and staying in the fight or flight response chronically has long-term cardiac, cardiovascular, cellular repercussions. Wow. So it's important for us to do our emotional work, not just for our emotional health, but for 
our physical health as well. And then knowing what the proper tools are for you to do, and you alluded to this earlier, you talked about finding those things that help you manifest that anger. First of all, you have to acknowledge that you're experiencing it and then say, well, what can I do? What's in my toolbox? And for me personally, that means a lot of exercise. That means my music. That means spending time in nature, spending time with my family, talking about it and not pretending like it doesn't exist. That's the other thing not brushing it off because I did that for such a long time and it was harmful. Well, good for you for making that change. That's fantastic. What is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? I believe in a holistic definition of health that includes physical health, mental health, and also love and connection with others. So social health, as I believe you you called it earlier. And I also believe in financial health, which is something that's really important. I think now with the pandemic, people are under financial stress. And I actually am writing a book on implying mental fitness and mm-hmm. mindfulness to financial health. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be published by Sounds True in July. It's called Um, uh, the financial mindset fix a mental fitness program for an abundant life. So an abundant life is a vibrant full life that includes health relationally, emotionally, physically, and financially. Wonderful. I look forward to that release. Thank you. Thank you so very much for being a guest today on the show. I am honored and I'm sure my listeners will benefit as well. Thank you so much, Nadine. I feel like I've made a new friend in you. I hope. I hope I'll I'll be back. This was a lot of fun. I could talk to you for hours. (laughs) Yes, I had to stop myself, really, (laughs) from going down separate rabbit holes. And now it's time for the Mindful Minute. Let's do a meditation. Anchoring is a way to settle the mind on a sensation. It can be your breath, a sound, sight, or touch. When your mind wanders, as it will, don't worry. Simply bring it back to sensation. We will focus on our bodies, from our feet to the tops of our heads. Sit comfortably in your chair, with a long spine, hands relaxed in your lap, feet on the floor. Simply notice without needing to do or change anything, the sensations in your feet and ankles, legs and knees, thighs, and hips, abdomen, and chest, back, upper arms, and shoulders,
elbows, and forearms. Wrists and hands. Head and neck. Now pick one area and stay there and focus. Notice your breath. There's no need to do anything, fix anything, or change anything. No judgment. Simply observe. Now release your focus and bring your awareness back into the present moment. Notice how you feel. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. And are you interested in starting or maintaining a yoga practice at home? I teach yoga to wise women. I believe in empowering and educating wise women to thrive on their terms at every stage of life. Let's hear what a wise woman has to say. We focus on balance. I don't think I'm going to trip and fall, but should I trip and fall? Guess what? I know exactly how to get up. They're not, they're just not a lot of instructors out there like you at all. To learn more, connect with me at yogimd.net. And finally, podcast theme music is by my niece, Maya Bishop, on vocals. My daughter, Lizzie Kelly, on guitar and bass. Yours truly on percussion. And produced by Tim Buer. Thanks for being here. See you next time.